and we are back. Welcome everyone to another edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. Alexis Cena is here and we've got the full house back. Nate has binned off his NFL fantasy draft because he said, give me some of the action I saw at Monza today. Nate Saunders here with me along with Lawrence Edmondson. I'm Alexis Cena's if you didn't know by now and we will be looking back at the crazy I want to say crazy day we saw at Monza, but it's really been a crazy weekend. And to quote the great man that is Maximus in Gladiator, are you not entertained? Because, oh my Jonas Brothers, Nate and Lawrence and I have been bawling for some entertainment. And I did not even, like everything went off today at Monza, guys. So I have to ask you, where does this race rank for you? And is this the entertainment you were hoping for after the last couple of weekends? Yeah, so just before we left the office, I said to Lawrence, where does that race rank in terms of recent ones? And I think if you take the two Germany races we had at Hockenheim when it rained, if you take those out of the equation, I think it's got to be up there. So, yeah, it was amazing. But the, the, the funny thing with it was, was for about 20 laps, it looked like it could have been on the other end of that conversation. It was so dull. You know, there's nothing really happening. It was kind of kind of just got moving towards the pit stop phase. And you're like, OK, something needs to happen here to make it fun. And then all hell broke loose. So it was a great race. And one of those races that we'll be talking about for years to come, probably. I'm still trying to get my head around it. The fact that an Alpha Tauri won. Um, it's incredible. We haven't had a non-Mercedes Red Bull Ferrari winner of a race since 2013. I think it was Kimi Räikkönen at the Australian Grand Prix in a Lotus. Um, so to have just a different colour of car up there at number one. It was just incredible and really great to watch. And obviously all those memories of uh, Monza 2008, um, a race that Sebastian Vettel won, his first win in Formula One in a Toro Rosso, the team that went on to become Alfa Tauri. Um, it was just brilliant, fantastic to watch. And as well, a genuine race to the flag. I can't remember last time we had one of those. I'm sure there was one fairly recently, but that, that was special, wasn't it? To see two cars, and as Nate said in the office as well, go into the final lap and you didn't know which one was going to come out on top. That is special. Um, and that's what we want to see in Formula 1. Unpredictable results, racing to the flag. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And I think we were due one, weren't we, after a number of fairly disappointing races? We were definitely due one. And I mean, I just want to throw it back to our podcast midweek are previewing um, Monza and when we, of course, take Nate's ball predictions, but we also take a lot of the pit stop predictions. And I think maybe it was one person or one of our viewers um, or listeners on social media that had predicted a wild podium as well, basically with no Red Bull, no Mercedes, and of course, no Ferrari, but uh, that wouldn't really be a bold prediction right now. And, I, and we laughed at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were just like... We need to reach out to that guy and get that person on the podcast next week because I feel Literally. like they, they know something that we don't know. I feel like I need to go back through my emails and get the script for that one that um, our producer Lucy sent us to see, go through all of the pit stop predictions and find this guy and be like, bruh, shall we buy you a beer? But, you know, in terms of ball predictions, I know, Lawrence, you've, you've, you've made Nate scratch his head today. Well, between you and Pierre Gasly, you've made Nate scratch his head because he's ruined the fact that he did not pick Pierre Gasly to go at least on the podium. I know, because Nate, you've been quite complimentary of him, of course. But Lawrence actually, I mean, we're going to play the clip right now. Lawrence actually gave Pierre a bit more credit than, than the rest of us should have. I was thinking about this because I can't really... One of the one of the bold predicts I had for Belgium was Ricciardo getting that podium, which nearly came true. So I, I can't use that one again. So what I'm going to say it was another guy who was super impressive at Spa. And actually, we haven't spoken about it yet, and we should. I'm going to say that Pierre Gasly gets a top five 
in Italy. And I know it's, it is bold because he might not have the car to do that, but mm. we've seen it a lot this year. He's been driving really well, but in Spa, he was really, you know, he was driving superbly. It was quite an emotional weekend for him. It's the first time yeah. he'd been back to Spa since Antoine Hubert was killed last year, obviously a childhood friend of his. But I think he's been, he's been superb all year. And in Spa, he was another level. I was actually talking to um, a friend at Alpha Tauri, and he was just saying that, that he was like, the team had blown away by just how well he's performing at the moment. Um, so it'd be great. And it's kind of a home race for the team. They're based not too far down the road uh, in Faenza. So um, yeah, that, that's my bold prediction. I'm not sure how bold it is, uh, as he's been performing well, but I think the the maybe limitations of the car make it make it quite out there. What do you reckon, Laz? Have I have I gone could have been bolder. Again? Could have been bolder. Oh. Been... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like top five. Um, yeah, for, Ga- for Gasly, I think it's pretty pretty bold. He's not. Yeah, he's... the, the Alfa Tori is not quite there, is it? But yeah, I mean, Toro Rosso won at that track 2008 with Sebastian Vettel. True. Long time ago. That was a long time ago. All right, so there we go. Look at Lawrence sledging Nate, saying that he could have been a bit bolder. And yes, indeed, he could have and probably should have, but could have, would have, should have, because there's no way any of us could have predicted the series of unfortunate events for other teams that basically put out the podium finishes that we saw today. It's the only time in my life I wish I was bolder. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, no, I, but, you know, um, I think Laz was, was, was spot on, you know, in the end. I, I basically thought, well, look, if I say podium, it's not going to come true in a, in a normal race. So I'm absolutely delighted that we can play that back and laugh at the fact that I was nearly right, but not right. All right. Well, I suppose let's just talk about there in terms of um, details now that podium, in case we didn't reiterate it at the start enough, it was Pierre Gasly that took it, followed by Sunday Signs, Carlos Signs, brilliant race for him and McLaren. And then in third, Lance Stroll and Lando Norris, not too far behind. So we've got to give Lando some prep too. Maybe he could share a bit of the spotlight there with Carlos but let's talk about Pierre Gasly and and Lawrence I'll start with you because I did speak to Nate about it in our video hits post race immediately after and I was just saying that given the 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 last 18 months that Pierre Gasly went through of course personally in terms of him suffering the loss of one of his best friends in Antoine Hubert around this exact week last year and then the fact that things went so pear-shaped at Red Bull went now to Alpha Tauri and has really really as Nate pointed out just you know, it, it, he's been outperforming even at least one of the Red Bull drivers in Alex Albon. So we'll talk about that right now. But how significant of a win is this for Pierre personally and, of course, for his career? Well, this is what makes it such a brilliant story. And this is why there's so much kind of romanticism around uh, Pierre Gasly winning a race. Um, he's also the first French winner since 1996. So kind of blazing a trail for his country as well. Um, but it, it, it was just a fantastic race. But we haven't seen it coming. I won't say that because we know Alpha Tauri aren't expected to win races. But he has been performing on an unusually high level. And really, he's been doing it uh, since he got the boot from Red Bull last year. And, um, OK, it took him a few races to kind of get back into life at Toro Rosso. But uh, then he got a podium. He got his first podium at the Brazilian Grand Prix last year. And then he's followed it up with, uh, with this win, both in cars which, you know, don't really have any right to be sniffing around the top three. So that is massively impressive. And um, I think it says a lot. I think it has, at least it should, uh, secure his career going forward. And um, of course, it creates some very big questions uh, for Red Bull around around what they do. But it, it is interesting as well, because he's been so good at Toro Rosso and AlphaTauri since he came back. He was very good before when he was at Toro Rosso the first time round, when he made his debut. 
And um, the question is, what happened at Red Bull? And he says he knows what happens at Red Bull, but he's not allowed to say it. So he's not allowed to tell us, but he says he knows. So I really want to know uh, what that is, because there's clearly something happened there that he wasn't happy about, that the team doesn't want out there, and that potentially is still impacting Alex Albon in some way. So that is, um, yeah, a really fascinating uh, story that is only going to develop on the back of this result. Um, so, yeah, but congratulations to him. And he's, he's actually a really, really nice guy. Mm. Um, kind of very mild-mannered uh, and kind of uh, straightforward, I think. And um, I think he just wants to get on with his racing and, uh, and do what he did today. And the fact that he's capable of it um, means that hopefully he's got a very long future in Formula 1. And I suppose this is definitely, I want to say this is starting the conversation about should he be called back to Red Bull, but I think that conversation has already started, as Nate pointed out. This is not just a one-off race that he's done good. He's actually been doing well for quite some time now. And if you want, like, a vote of confidence, I mean, it's hard to get bigger than, I think, what Lewis Hamilton said about him. And I just have the quote that he said. He says, I think he was, you know, unfairly not given the time to develop. He says he's now gone to the B team. He's now beat the A team from the B team puts a big smile on my face because I think he truly deserves it. He deserves a place back in the top team. So, Nate, is it time? Like, we sh is it more of a matter of when instead of if now? Lewis is really killing Albon's career, isn't he? He's, he's punted <laughs> him off twice in different races. And then he's done, and then he's done that as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, I think Lewis is spot on there. You know, obviously, I'm joking. I don't, I'm not saying Lewis is intentionally doing that. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think... Uh, this now for Red Bull is it's kind of created a really awkward situation for them because they've been so supportive of Alex Albon. And I think that really this this kind of proves how wrong they were, A, to um, demote Gasly as early as possible, and B, to put Albon in in place of him, a guy who also wasn't fully developed. You know, there's no... Now the, the blame kind of shifts completely to Red Bull because Gasly is showing, hey, this is what I can do. It's not like I went there and was found out and I didn't have any talent. You know, he's gone and won a race and, as Lawrence said, has been pretty much has been performing since he got demoted. So now the interesting thing will be if he did go back, and I'm assuming that's a when, not an if, if he underperforms again, that's surely on Red Bull then. You know, that, like, like Lawrence was saying, those issues that he had before. And they've, they've been really, they've been getting really frustrated, Red Bull, about that accusation that it's Max's team. He got really feisty about it. But it's very difficult to deny that if he goes back and, and can't perform again because we've seen it here and we've seen it on, on a few occasions. So I think he's got to go up there. And I hope, I hope for Albon's sake, he goes back to Alpha Tauri and has a similar moment because I don't really think he had time to develop. He obviously only had half of his rookie season and he was put into yeah. Red Bull alongside Max. And I don't think that that's really helped him. Um, and obviously he had some pretty agonizing race results uh, this season. So um, yeah, I, definitely time for Gasly to go up there. Um, but hopefully they do it, you know, at the start of next season, not midway through this year. I don't see what that would achieve for anybody so if you go far, back far enough this mess started with Daniel Ricciardo leaving Red Bull unexpectedly that's why Gasly went up there Red Bull never really wanted to put Gasly in that seat um, at the start of uh, the 2019 season it's crazy I just had to check with myself it's 2019 season because um, it's such recent history and um, yeah so Gasly was kind of promoted a little bit too quickly uh, without giving the chance that maybe he needs to develop and you can say, well, Max went, you know, pretty much, we didn't go straight in, but he went in quickly. Lewis went straight in and McLaren and performed. But every driver is different. And, you know, some of the best drivers, uh, you know, mature over time and at different rates and uh, with different pressures on them as well. So, um, I mean, I'm not saying that Gasly's 
the best driver on the grid. I don't think he is. Um, you know, I don't think he's on the level of Verstappen either long term. But he definitely wasn't given the chance that he deserved. And uh, and as nature said, the same is true with, with Albon. But then you have the question of, well, you know, do you not give Albon the time? Do you deal with that? And it's it's a really tough one to uh, to try and get your head around um, and to try and decide what to do. But yeah, it was ultimately all kicked off by uh, Daniel Ricciardo leaving the team a little bit earlier than, than Red Bull would have liked. Well, I mean, as we say, timing of these things is always so perfect. But do you think, Lawrence, and now kind of like what Nate just hinted to, do you think that now or say early next season is the time, the fact that, you know, Gasly's had time to, to live out this season, which has been probably, as many would say, given what's going on in the outside world, um, the toughest season that they've had to encounter. A lot of things have been going on, still a lot of uncertainties. So maybe he's had time to to mentally develop as well. And, you know, we've probably seen that where we where else we've seen with Alex Albon, how probably his confidence and, and a lot of it is has taken a hit. And there's still the part that we don't know the 100% story of what's going on behind the scenes, as you alluded to. But in terms of timing, do you think that at least next season it's time for Pierre Gasly to go back and get that second chance at Red Bull and maybe have Alex Albon take the same path as him and come down to Alpha Tauri and, and just reassess and restart and have more time to develop? Well, if you said to me, you have to absolutely decide by the end of this podcast what <laughs> Red Bull should do next year. You have to absolutely decide by the end of this podcast. <laughs> then that does seem sensible. But I, I completely agree with Nate, they shouldn't be changing it mid-season. I don't think they will either. I think they'll stick with what they've got for now and, uh, and see it through. The, the advantage they have... Um, for people that aren't aware, is that the drivers aren't actually contracted to the teams. So all four drivers, which is Verstappen, Albon, Gasly and Daniel Kvyat, um, are all on a Red Bull contract and they can move them around as they want, you know, uh, depending on how they're performing and, and where they think they're best suited. So the option is there and it doesn't mean that Alex Albon has had his Red Bull contract torn up. It just means that they've, they've changed it around a bit. Um it's an interesting one. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it is a good time. If you're going to do it, the end of this year, going into next year, is a good time to do it because you've got a big regulation change coming up in 2022. And any driver... Well, the, the thing is, they're all going to be kind of reset a bit by that uh, regulation change. They're all kind of going to have a fairly level playing field. But you want a driver who's already part of the team and you want a driver that you're committed to a little bit longer term. So, um, yeah, if I had to make a decision by the end of this podcast, I'd go with Gasly. But... I don't think they should be doing it yet. And I think they should give Albon until the end of the season to show them what he can do and perhaps turn that situation around. And, you know, if you... I suppose there's going to be the... Yeah, I mean, there's haters everywhere, let's put it that way. But there's going to be the somewhat doubters that will say, you know, if you look at this win for Gasly, um, Ferrari and enduring probably one of the worst seasons ever. Um, Lewis Hamilton had that 10-second penalty. Valtteri Bottas, I don't know what was going on there with him. We'll try and pick that apart. So many things had to happen. Max Verstappen, of course, got out. So many things had to happen. So it's almost like it, they'd want to take the shine off, I suppose, from this win for Pierre Gasly. But Nate, starting with you, I mean, what impressed you the most about this win? What stood out for you from Pierre Gasly? Because we really do want to give him the credit for him because Carlos Sainz also didn't really make it easy for him either. Well, yeah, and that's what that's what really impressed me was at the end, Carlos was clearly getting closer to him, was just chipping away at it, and Gasly actually said that he barely had any tyres left at the end. So you could see them in there. <laughs> yeah, like he, you know, he was clinging on at the end. And what's really impressive there is often in those situations you'll see guys starting to lock up, you know, they'll start sliding around. And he said he was in the car, but we didn't see any mistakes. You know, he under that kind of pressure, I'll, I'll never forget at the first corner. I don't remember which year it was, maybe 2016, 17. 
but Rosberg uh, making a mistake there and letting Lewis pass at turn one. Now, that always stuck out in my mind. It was one driver putting another driver under pressure in front. And Gasly didn't crack under it, you know. And 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 you talk about circumstances. Lance Stroll looked like the guy who should have won that race, given where he he started second on that restart. He messed up the start, and Gasly didn't got Stroll around the outside. So it was just capitalising on that moment, which was super impressive. And I think that that trait is super important to have as a race driver. Lawrence, what stood out from the race for you too? Was it just his nerves of steel to hang on? Yeah, it was. It was a really funny situation actually, because when you go back a bit before the uh, safety car. Um, Gasly was actually coming under pressure from Kafir, and that was part of the reason they pitted him when he did. And that put him uh, on tyres, which then basically allowed him to take advantage when, uh, when everybody else uh, pitted. So it was, yeah, it, it, it was a weird situation, a weird set of events that kind of normally, in a normal race, maybe wouldn't have gone his way. And in fact, if the race had run without any stoppages, you know, we probably wouldn't even be mentioning Gasly in this podcast. Yeah, it all came together. And I agree, it was... The thing that stood out was that he wasn't in the fastest car of the cars that were restarting the race near the front. So Sainz had the second fastest car out there, I think, this weekend. And that includes the Red Bull. The McLaren really was that good. In a normal race, I think they probably would have finished um, second unless Bottas had come back and then they would have finished third. But they would have been the second best team. Uh, Lance Stroll was in a very good car and starting ahead of Gasly. So... That is, as Nate correctly said, that's that's what makes it impressive is that despite not quite having the best machinery when the opportunity was there and these opportunities so rarely come up in Formula One, which means there's all the more pressure on the driver, he was the one that was able to capitalise. Well, and, and talking on, on that exact point, I mentioned Albon earlier and that that proves it. You know, those opportunities, you, you might get one a season and if it doesn't go your way, you're, you know, you don't get that win, you don't get that podium it changes the whole narrative around you, you know, and Gasly might not get a chance like that again at Alpha Tower. So yeah, the fact that he, the fact he pulled it off is amazing. All right. Well, it's absolutely brilliant that we get to speak about um, Pierre Gasly or just somebody different at length as we just have spoken about, but let's definitely pay the other two podium finishes some credit there too, in terms of Sunday signs. And, and really, I think he just had, it was almost like at Monza today we had, two races in one. It was a nice little two for one. I don't think I've ever really seen that where you've had that much of a, a stop. I remember I got up, went to the bathroom, came back and saw Lewis on his scooter. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I was like, did I miss something? But it was absolutely crazy. And I know to stay there mentally in the race, but Carlos, he even said it after. He said he felt that at least P2 was always within his reach because he did start off quite well. And he did, you could hear him, of course, on the radio after saying he really wanted that win. And if he just got probably one more lap, he would have gotten it. So how happy, though, would you think McLaren will be with, with how Carlos did? And, of course, Lando, or would they be looking at it as more of a another big opportunity kind of missed? It's tough, isn't it, to say, because, you know, for McLaren, they haven't been scoring podiums that often. So I think that, the fact that they got one is still going to be the overriding factor. I think they know had things gone a little differently for them, science could have won the race. But also, if things had gone a little differently, science might not have even been in, in the equation. You know, we saw a lot of guys who were shuffled back from that. So the fact that they had the second quickest car, like Lawrence said, and still finished second, I think means that they got a lot out of the weekend. And obviously, Lando finishing fourth, that's really good points for that team in that midfield fight. So I think they'd be happy. I think... It was it was great for Carlos because on Thursday he was he made a point of saying how many points he'd lost this season through reliability issues and he said I haven't lost those points you know the, the car has lost the points the team have lost the points and so I think this for him you know he he outperformed Lando all week he was third on the grid um, 
you know, so I think that this really for him, he's he's looked really frustrated with all the Ferrari questions that have come his way and people saying, oh, Carlos, you must regret the fact you're going to Ferrari now and all this stuff. And clearly he's been winding him up. And I think what's been winding up even more is the fact that he hasn't been able to show that Ferrari have made the right call. You know, Lando has kind of been the guy that we've talked about a bit more. So it seemed like an important result for him. I'm sure he'll think about how close he was at the end. It must have been agonizing going down that straight, not not quite being able to get Gasly. Um, but I think the further further away from this he'll get, he'll realize like this was a great result um, for him and for the team. So I reckon they'll be on the good side of, you know, happy or regretful. But there's always going to be regrets there, I guess. Lawrence, what do you think? Of course, great result, no questions asked, but still might be feeling that opportunity missed. Well, this question was asked to Andreas Seidel after the race, the McLaren team principal. And he said, we had some sense of loss, some sense of kind of disappointment immediately after the flag. And you saw that in yeah. the reaction of the two pit walls. You saw the McLaren guys kind of like look at each other and kind of think that was a great opportunity to win and we didn't take it or it didn't come to us. And then the Alpha Tauri mechanics going crazy as, as they rightfully should in that situation. So, yeah, I, I think initially there's disappointment. There's always disappointment. And also because these opportunities come up so rarely for a team from the midfield to win a race. But when they look at it, when they look at the, this result at the end of the championship, they're going to look at it as a key point that may well secure them third in, in the championship. They're going to have a tough fight to stay against Racing Point because the tracks coming up are going to suit Racing Point more than McLaren. This was one race where they definitely had to capitalise. But because they did, I think they'll look back at this weekend and they'll actually think, hey, that wasn't too bad. Um, one other point I'd like to make. Have either of you looked at the driver standings this evening after this race? No, actually. So Lewis Hamilton leading, no surprise there. Shock. Valtteri Bottas <laughs> moves up to second. Again, no real surprise. Still 47 points behind. Then Max Verstappen. In fourth place on 57 points, Lance Stroll. Who would have thought at this stage of the season, Lance Stroll would be in fourth place? He is tied with Lando Norris, who's also on 57. Get in, but, Lando. Uh, but presumably... <laughs> Stroll has an extra fourth place or something. I don't know. He must have an extra uh, place that, that has put him ahead. Either that or the um, algorithm on the Formula 1 website is, is a bit dodgy. But um, yeah, and then Alexander Albon six. Uh, Charles Leclerc now dropped to seventh. Pierre Gasly just two points behind Leclerc uh, in eighth place. Um, and while we're going through these stats, I'm also going to point out Ferrari's situation at the moment. I know we'll talk about them later. But um, they are six now on 61 points, 10 points behind Renault. And they have Alpha Tauri behind them in seventh on 47 points. And, um, you know, it's we were talking about would Ferrari win the championship before the season. Then we're talking about will they actually be able to get third. And now we're talking about are they going to hold on to six? You know, it's, it's crazy. But anyway, we'll, we'll go into that later. Scenes. Absolutely love these kind of things that throw it out. Now, before we go to our spare a thought for segment, which is going to be a two for one today. Um, I love how we have all these different segments. But, I mean, the man that you just mentioned right there, Lawrence, I guess let's talk a little bit about um, Lance Stroll. Of course, we know that Racing Point have, you know, been there and have been looking good despite all the drama off and out of their cars this season. But Lance Stroll, again, he kind of echoed Carlos Sainz's sentiments after the race in the sense that he probably, again, was viewing this as, as Nate pointed out, an opportunity missed, even though, of course, he would take a third-place podium all day, every day given who we know usually dominates. But still, um, how big of an opportunity missed was this for them? 
Huge. This was this is the race that Lance Stroll should have won. Mm. And uh, Racing Point, I heard via Sky afterwards. I didn't actually hear the quote myself, but apparently they said that had we had the previous rule where it wasn't a standing start after a red flag and it was a safety car restart after a red flag, then uh, Lance Stroll obviously probably would have kept the position and would have won the race. But that's another way of saying if Stroll hadn't messed up his start, yeah. then we would have won the race. So, um, you know, I don't be too hard on the guy um, because, like I said, he's fourth in the championship. You know, that's, that's pretty good going this year. But that was a missed opportunity. And really, it was all on that restart. And there was a, just before the restart, they were showing the drivers and Gasly looked super cool. If you actually get a chance to watch it back, they showed Gasly very briefly and he's just chatting to his engineer. Stroll was kind of having this pep talk with his engineer and you could see, like, he knew, he knew sitting there, like, this is my opportunity to win a race. So I wonder... I wonder how much of that went into the start. But yeah, like Lawrence said, massive missed opportunity. All right. Well, speaking of missed opportunities, let's go right into let's spare a thought for. Now, it's usually my let's spare a thought for Valtteri Bottas segments, which here we go again. But quickly before we get to Valtteri, I mean, let's talk about Alex Albon again, because all of us have been scratching our heads there, too. I mean, it was a miserable day overall, I suppose we could say for Red Bull, but there's really nothing Max Verstappen could have done. It was no fault of his, as we saw, and he usually is always on the top of his game. But Alex Albon, again, um, Lawrence, this was yet another opportunity for him as well. And and somehow, some way, Lewis Hamilton was able to come from the very back of the race to still pass him out. It's it, it baffles me as to why he's not able to take advantage of all these kind of opportunities thrown his way. So uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to Christian Horner or Alex Albon after the race, but I do have a bit of an explanation from the team on that. Um, you'll remember that he was penalised early in the race for moving across on Grosjean under braking, and rightfully so, I think. Uh, that actually damaged his car to the extent that it was, the team reckoned, about a second per lap down on performance. So that goes some way to explain why there was no recovery drive and why, you know, Lewis was so easily got past him and why it was such an awful weekend. But, you know, this all it all stems from the same problems. Uh, I, I was surprised to hear um, Red Bull and Alex quite happy with qualifying yesterday uh, because uh, I think I'm right in saying he was ninth on the grid. He was only two temps or so off max. And that was a bit they were saying, well, you know, look, it's only two temps. It's true, but, you know, that's that's massive in the midfield at the moment. And on, on a weekend when, you know, Red Bull was struggling a bit, or certainly Max was struggling a bit, you know, Alex didn't capitalise in the way that maybe, you know, he should have against Max as well. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to kick a guy when he's down and when the guy who's potentially replacing him has just won a race. But it wasn't brilliant from, from Alex Albon. But, um, you know, like you say, we've been in this position before, haven't we? Like, you know, when's it going to come right for... Alex Albon, and uh, I still don't have an answer for that. I don't know if you do, Nate, but I don't know if anyone does. No, absolutely not. And and you're right about the mood after qualifying. I was in the Zoom call on Saturday after qualifying, and it was all very much like, yeah, you know, happy with how it is. And I think part of that maybe was they knew they didn't have the car. But, you know, Max had done a better job, like you say. So I don't know. I, I wonder whether the, the Gasly experience last year and, uh, you know, by about six or seven races in, they were kind of publicly saying he needs to do better. And there was that pressure publicly that they were saying. I wonder if they've, they've, they've kind of treated Albon with much more kind of like cotton wool almost. You know, they're really supportive of him, really kind of emphasizing the good points and kind of downplaying the bad points. And I wonder if that's just to help the guy out, you know. Um, and it's always hard with him because I think naturally his demeanor in front of camera is that he, you know, he's, he's kind of always hunched over a little bit and doesn't speak 
super confidently and it looks like he's kind of downbeaten or not confident but um yeah I, I i really don't have any answers it's really strange and gasly winning has almost made you think well you know maybe maybe albon's just you know at that stage of the cycle that gasly was in last year so yeah hard to hard to kick a guy when he's down but it, it's not a great situation to be in well, the mystery continues there. And speaking of mysteries, I suppose we go to the bigger one, and that is Valtteri Bottas. And Lawrence, I have to start with you on this one because <laughs> I almost don't even know where to start with this one. Again, talking about massive opportunities that it's like you are literally in the best car out there. And, and so much so that earlier on when I spoke to Nate for our video hits again, he went as far as to say that he thought that this was probably Valtteri's worst race all season. And, and I mean, we've seen other opportunities where we probably give him the benefit of the doubt because we know that he's got probably the toughest job in the fact that he has to go to work with, be a teammate with the likes of Lewis Hamilton. But today, I mean, what just, what just didn't cut it again for you, if you can even try to explain it and how much of an opportunity missed as well was this one? Yeah, well, if I said Lance Stroll should have won this race, if you look at it, with the bigger picture, obviously, Valtteri should have won it if Lewis was uh, in a position where he was penalised and had to go to the back. So that's where we start. Now, the funny thing is that um, Valtteri was only 0.069 seconds off Lewis in qualifying. So it was actually one of those weekends where it looked like he was quite close to Lewis. But then, of course, the start went wrong. And we've seen this again and again with Valtteri. And it's really quite disappointing that dropped him into the middle of the pack. He then thought he had a puncture. He didn't have a puncture, but the car definitely wasn't handling the way it should in the right-hand corners, which are incredibly important around Monza because there aren't many corners and the fast ones, the two Lesmo corners and the Parabolica were right-handers. The car was understeering massively, which means basically he was turning in and the car wasn't going where he was telling it to. And... Um, and so, uh, you know, he, he just never made the progress. And then Mercedes, I think, in some ways, and I don't have this on authority of anyone there, but in some ways I think they may have been a little bit cocky this weekend because they basically set up their car to run at the front. Uh, they went quite minimal on cooling, uh, which was an issue for both cars in the race and a real issue when they were following other cars. And also uh, they went with quite a high drag level and downforce level. Um, which basically meant that they didn't have the top speed to attack people on the straights. Now, of course, we saw Lewis come back through, but remember, he was picking off some of the easier cars to pick off. And so Valtteri had this issue where not only did he not really have the top speed to take the fight to some of those cars ahead uh, because of the setup he had with uh, the downforce he had, he was also having to kind of find clean air to try and keep the car cool because it was overheating. And those are all choices that Mercedes would have made after Friday practice based on their assumptions of temperatures and probably on their assumption that they would run away at the front. And perhaps because they wanted to kind of really prove to the rest of the field that they were still going to be dominant despite this new engine regulation thing coming in. And, you know, they wanted to run their uh, cars like on the limit uh, with all of that going on, possibly. I don't know, again, not an authority of anyone, but it looked a little bit like that. And the, but the upshot was that the Valtteri uh, got stuck in traffic and never really made an impression. So I think there was a little bit of the car not being in the right kind of setup uh, to be able to fight back and overtake. But we've seen this again with Bottas before, that he's not a decisive overtaker. He doesn't carve through the field in the way that you'd want, you know, a potential world champion to do. So 
at the end of it all, I think we still look at it and we still say overall that was just a pretty disappointing performance from Valtteri. And I agree with Nate. Um, it's probably his worst of the year. I can't think of a worse one off the top of my head. But I think he's also had some pretty awful ones while he's been at Mercedes as well. So maybe not his worst of his career, but um, yeah, worst of the year. I'll go with that. Nate, you've had time to let it sink in as well and probably analyse it a bit further than when we did our quick post-race reactions. Um, how do you view it now, I suppose? And then just thinking of setbacks, and we look at this one as a setback definitely for, say, Lewis Hamilton, we will all know or we all have an idea of exactly the kind of mood he's going to be in come next week in Mugello and exactly what that probably could mean for the rest of them. It might be even more intimidating. But Valtteri, again, you don't really get that and you sit down and you almost wonder how many more setbacks mentally can he afford? Yeah, and he looked really kind of downbeat after the race, as you would imagine. And I don't think there was anything good that he could say about the race. What's interesting is Lewis seems to have one of these races a year where just something kind of cataclysmic goes wrong <laughs> for his race. You know, he's winning. So Germany last year was a great example of that. Um, and in that race, Bottas, it was a great opportunity for Bottas to take a big chunk out of Lewis in that. And he crashed out of the race. So it seems that when these opportunities have been there to present themselves, Valtteri hasn't hasn't capitalized but like Lawrence said it's not just a flash in the pan I think what's what's kind of sad is that at the beginning of the year there was still people kind of on team Bottas I think it was fewer than last year and the year before but it seems to that I mean that club has completely died now you know there's no one who everyone's just like oh you know what well, like Valtteri great he's messed the start up again like there goes any chance of the good race but that's kind of where we're at with it now and I think that that obvious that must play uh have an impact on him you know the way he's approaching these races and confidence and stuff like that which is you know which is bad to see because he is still the only guy who can legitimately take that fight to Lewis this season or next season if things stay the way they are so um yeah it, it's it's disappointing to see and the, the really frustrating thing is for me I know why Mercedes have done it but keeping Bottas in that car means that George Russell doesn't get up there or Danny Ricciardo doesn't get up there or whatever and you just think, would those guys do a better job? And when Bottas drives like that, it's very hard to, to argue that he's doing, you know, that that's the best someone could do in that car alongside Lewis. Nate, I mean, I have to, not Nate, rather, Lawrence, I have to <laughs> pitch that one to you there because, I mean, brilliant point there. I mean, not taking anything away from Valtteri because we know he's definitely a top driver, but the more and more we see these setbacks and the more and more of a mental toll we do see taking, say, on Valtteri Bottas, not saying that he can't come back from it, um, has it made you start to wonder how would George Russell be doing in this situation? Yeah, it has, absolutely. Um, and I was probably one of those last people in Team Bottas. Uh, but, I've, but I've handed in my, my membership card Oh, now. no. I feel um, like I still have a toe yeah. there. I still have, like, a, a foot in the door of Team Bottas. <laughs> I mean, I, I still really want him to see him do, need to see him do well. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced it's going to happen. But I do also wonder, and I, I've said this before, um, how many other drivers would do a genuinely better job? How many other drivers would be able to get as close as Valtteri was on Saturday to Lewis. Um, and that's, that's, that's an interesting question. But I feel with Bottas, he's been there so long, he's had all these little knocks that mentally it seems like there's a problem there now. And, and, and once you've lost that battle, I think it's really, really hard to come back, especially when your rival is Lewis Hamilton. Now, perhaps with all that in mind, Mercedes are also kind of considering that with George Russell. They have some pretty good access to what George Russell is capable of. He's tested their car enough times. Um, and so they'll know, really, or they'll have some idea of, of how George would stack up against Lewis. Now, it may be that they don't want to introduce a driver who's going to 
upset Lewis's, uh, you know, ride to a seventh world title, more wins and all that. But it may also be that they don't want to put George in that position too early in his career and just see him burn out uh, in the same way that we're probably seeing Valtteri burn out right now. So perhaps there's something to that. Um, the the one driver, like Nature said, who I, who I would like, I mean, I'd love to see Verstappen against him, but, you know, that's going to happen. Oh. But the one driver who realistically was out of contract could have gone there at the start of this year is Ricardo. Um, but as I've said before as well, I'm not 100%, I don't think he would beat Lewis. I don't think he's that good, but I would like to see it. So I think mean, he'd have the fight, he'd have so much hunger going in there. I think it would be fireworks. But again, probably why Mercedes isn't doing that. Probably why they aren't making that decision. And when you um, and on Ricardo, the reason I think it would be more fun is that you mentioned Bottas not being as decisive as some of the other guys. You know, Ricardo is at least one of those guys that does go for those opportunities. So I think that's the kind of driver you have to be if you're against Lewis. You have to be scrappy. You have to be a fighter. You can't be someone who kind of lets the race come to you because you know the other guy isn't doing that. The other guy's running away with the, the championship. So. Um, it is a fair point, though. You know, I, I didn't want to just be like, hey, anyone could do that job better than, than Bottas. Red Bull are kind of proving how difficult it is just to throw someone in a car and be like, hey, yeah, you can, you can drive as well as the other guys. So um, it is tough. But you wonder if, if Bottas was going in there clean now, you know, for, like 2017 Bottas, who came in, was hungry, was clearly talented, the team was excited by him and had this car. I wonder how he'd be doing in comparison, because I think a lot of it must be a confidence thing and a self-belief thing. Because with, with Rosberg, you know, he kind of was able to climb over this hump. Bottas just doesn't seem to be able to. And ultimately, I think that that over time has just, has just been the thing that's like really just kicked him. Well, our Spare the Thought fourth segment continues. Usually it is for a Valtteri, but, you know, we extended it to Alex Albon. And now we're going to just extend it to an entire team. And that is Ferrari. Shock, because we just have to talk about what yet another nightmare weekend for them indeed. I mean, from brake failure for Sebastian Vettel, Charles Leclerc in that nasty uh, bit of an accident that wasn't quite nasty to see. Thank goodness he he sprinted away rather or jogged away though. So that was actually good to see. But both of them did not even finish. Now, as Lawrence pointed out, they've slipped to sixth in the Constructors' Championship. And, and Seb Vettel, you know, even quite candidly said, in terms of next week, still in Italy at Mugello, where I'm sure the fans would have loved to see a good showing from Ferrari. He says, quote, expectations are low, plain and simple. So, <laughs> I mean, we don't want to kick teams either when they're down, but wow, I keep saying rock bottom, but I think they just started to scratch the surface of whatever's below rock bottom. Well, before we start talking negatively, I want to actually say thank you to Ferrari because it was a faulty <laughs> Ferrari engine on Kevin Magnussen's Haas. We believe it was a power unit failure. He broke down right by the pit lane. That got Lewis the penalty. That's what threw everything up in the air. So, and, you know, and like you say rightly, you know, it was great that Charles was unhurt, but then that crash prompted the red flag as well. So in a weird way, Ferrari kind of saved the Italian Grand Prix. They just weren't there to capitalize on it in any way, shape or form. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's kind of, this is, this is super low and, um, it's, it's kind of, it's really sad for a team like that, that their thousandth race, it's so hard to get excited about it. At least for the, at, at the very least, Pierre Gasly has saved them. L Lawrence was laughing that I've written this same article twice recently <laughs> that Lewis could break or then match Schumacher's record at Mugello, which if he'd won, if he'd won this race, this would have been his 90th win. And then he could have matched Schumacher at Ferrari's home track at its thousandth race, which just would have seemed kind of unnecessarily cruel to a team like that you know like yeah. hey we know we know you're in a bad position and now we're just going to take Schumacher's record and break it right under your noses on a circuit that you own so at least 
at least they don't have to put up with that. And, you know, he'd probably do it in Sochi or something after that. But that seems like I'm looking for like a real extreme silver lining to a cloud because, like you say, they're scratching whatever is below rock bottom at the moment. That is an intense silver lining, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, this is going to sound weird, but in a way, like usually a double DNF is the worst possible thing that can happen to a team because you miss out on any opportunity, obviously, of scoring points. But the way things were going in the race and how much Leclerc was struggling and obviously Sebastian as well, you start to think, well, actually, in a way, they're better off just, you know, getting out of this race and, uh, and going to the next one because it was looking as bad as Spa. And um, and Spa was pretty low, and I actually thought Spa was going to be the lowest point. Um, but as we said before, you know, the, we knew on paper these were tracks that wouldn't suit them. Yes, Mugello isn't really a track that's going to suit them either, but it should be slightly slightly better than these last two. And um, if anyone's got data on that track or an understanding of, of of how to set up a car around it, you'd hope it's the people that own it. So. There might be a slight silver lining in going going to Mugello. And then I think um, Sochi, again, not a brilliant one, bit of a power circuit. But I think basically what I'm trying to say is that Ferrari will come back at tracks where um, it's not so power sensitive, essentially. And, um, and that's their big weakness, uh, along with the aero inefficiency of the car. Um, so if we had a Monaco, for example, I think the car would be relatively competitive. But actually, we've lost most of those high downforce street style circuits but yeah so it's um it's a pretty pretty rough situation at the moment uh some updates on the overall situation at ferrari um over this weekend uh one was that Benotto uh said in italian press that he had actually questioned whether he was the right person to be in the job uh but i thought it was interesting that he said that and then uh within the space of about 24 hours uh the ceo of ferrari louis camilleri came out and said that um, we're not thinking of replacing Bonotto. One of the issues that has got us to this low is a revolving door policy where we just kick people out and bring people in and kick people out. So Bonotto's there for the long term. So obviously a lot easier for Bonotto to say um, at that point that you know he considered his future at the team if he knows that his future is actually pretty safe. Uh, but I think it's not a particularly nice place to be at the moment, Ferrari, and... Um, uh, you know, the pressure is there, even without the fans, the pressure is there. And I think there's some, you know, it seems like the team needs to make some fairly fundamental changes in culture as well, if it's going to uh, going to challenge Mercedes. And I'd hoped when Bonotto first came in 2019 that, that he was bringing those. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the case. Well, you know, it's bad when Seb Vessel also said maybe it is really a good thing that the fans are, aren't here. And I think a lot of people would definitely echo that sentiment. Well, before we get into quickly some two big, two big stories, rather, that kind of broke over the weekend, um, definitely have to chat a little bit about Renault in terms of Danny Ricciardo because, um, again, he made us believe that a podium was kind of near it was kind of near not so much I mean now again given all the madness that happened and the fact that you know the rest of the midfield was basically handed opportunities that we know that they probably will not get again unless another madness happens because it is 2020 so it does happen a lot um sixth Nate were you kind of hoping a bit more from our favorite Aussie there yeah if you if you'd said before the race that this would have had a red flag it would have had Lewis drop to the back of the field you'd have said, okay, this is a chance for a team like Renault or McLaren or whoever 
to get up there and to, to maybe win the race. And I wouldn't have said Alpha Tauri, which again highlights, like we said, what a good job <laughs> Gasly did. Um, Ricardo kind of downplayed this weekend from the beginning. He said it's not going to be as good a place as Spa. I think Spa, really, you know, they were really close to that podium as we saw. And they, they, they said on a normal race, it won't be the same here. And they were clearly not as fast as the McLaren. But I think whenever you have a race like that, you must just be like, man, if we'd just done this differently or if this, this piece had fallen a bit differently here, they might have been higher up. I think the two McLarens were probably out of reach for them. And ultimately they were, they took, you know, they were uh, second and fourth. So I don't know. Um, it's a shame. It's a shame they didn't finish higher up, but at least, at least some midfield teams got onto the podium. We had three different teams on the podium that weren't any of the top three. And actually just to throw stats in there, Lawrence wrote earlier, this is the first race since Hungary 2012 that the podium hasn't featured any driver from Mercedes, Red Bull uh, or Ferrari, which is incredible when you think about it. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and Renault must be kicking themselves now because so many of those teams around them have a podium, you know, this season and they still haven't got it. So we know next year they're going to be Alpine. Um, and uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, I think maybe an opportunity gone, but they didn't look as good as um, as especially McLaren and Racing Point did today. Lawrence, what did you think about it? Yeah, if you look at the the so basically in this race, in the results we have, there's two different fields. There's the guys who benefited from the um, safety car and all the mess and everything, and the guys that didn't really and just kind of ran their normal race. So obviously Gasly and Stroll both benefited. They both moved forward because they either hadn't pitted or had pitted already before the safety car came out and everyone else pitted and everything else. So they moved forward. Now, Ricardo was among the guys who kind of ran a fairly normal race. So if you look at that, well, he was behind Sainz, Norris and Bottas. Uh, I think, you know... It was clear that, perhaps surprisingly, but it was clear that the McLaren was faster than the Renault around here. And you'd certainly hope that the Mercedes, uh, even in Bottas' hands, would be faster than the Renault. So really, Ricardo didn't underperform. He just kind of got, you know, the result that was, that was out there. And he beat his teammates. So um, I didn't see uh, how close Lewis was. Oh, I just looked at the standings and he wasn't actually that close to Ricardo at the end. So, yeah, you know, Ricardo builds up a nice buffer as well that meant he didn't come under attack from from Lewis. So um, I, I think that was a solid result. All right. Well, I suppose we can end um, just having a quick look at two of the big news stories that kind of broke at least over the window start. We can rather <laughs> starting with uh, racing points and the fact that they withdrew their appeal. I mean, whichever one of you wants to tackle this one, but in the whole copying drama and saying that, I guess they do accept the, you know, sanctions that came upon them because of it. And they said that the, ambiguity around the regulations has been settled. Now, I know there's always a lot going on behind the scenes, but I mean, Lawrence, uh, do you want to shed some light on this? I know you love these when, when things get complicated. Well, I'm just so happy this is over because it could have dragged on a lot further. And Ferrari have since said as well that they've withdrawn their appeal. They mm -hmm. said that this evening after the race, which was a nice way to bury maybe some slightly embarrassing news. I don't know. It depends which way you look at it. But it seems that there's been an agreement one way or another that has um, meant the next year they can't do that. I don't know the details of that yet. We need to figure that out. But um, I, d I don't think Racing Point are going to have to start their car again and forget all their you know, knowledge that they got from Mercedes. But equally, um, any opportunity to kind of copy parts that were on this year's Mercedes into next year's Racing Point seems to have been blocked off. So it's a situation where almost where we were where we started. No one's actually happy with the result of it. I don't think Racing Point 
in what they said are turning around and saying, you know, yeah, we accept that this was wrong. But what they're saying is, look, the stewards have accepted that it wasn't a straight thing and that, you know, it kind of came under this ambiguous bit of the regulations because they've changed the regulations for next year. They had to change it, which kind of proves our innocence indirectly. Whether you buy that or not, I don't know. But I think that's what Racing Point are trying to say. And so, um, yeah, you've got a situation which I think is probably the right outcome. Um, I think uh, what Racing Point did was was certainly on on, on the limit. And uh, I think the other teams were right to be upset about it. And it gives a little bit of clarity going forward on uh, on where we're going to be. And that's what the teams are looking for. And they weren't... I don't think anyone really wanted this to go to the Courts of Appeal, not least because we didn't want to have to go through pages and pages of legal documents to try and figure out what the story is. But also... These things cost a lot of money and they don't look particularly good when you've got mudslinging going on in, in, in Formula 1 between the teams. It's quite fun when it started, but it grew old pretty quickly. So I think it's probably best for the sport as a whole that it's been parked by uh, all of the three teams that were appealing the original decision. Right, and then I suppose the final bit of news um, has to do with Williams. I mean, the news that Claire Williams and Sir Frank Williams you know, will be stepping down uh, from the team and it just truly Nate is just the the end of an era I mean I almost can't picture Williams really without them but I suppose we're gonna have to get used to it um, as of next week really yeah so this was Claire Williams this last week there's a really nice touch at the beginning of the race she actually was the she was there guiding the cars out of the garage like she was the kind of you know chief mechanic um, but yeah it, it it's kind of it's impossible to think and you know obviously the name of the team is is Williams so it's going to be that that in itself is weird but you know, I, you, growing up in the 90s, Williams was the team. And, you know, McLaren came in and then Ferrari and Schumacher did. But Williams was the first team that I learned to understand were the best in Formula One. You know, they set that benchmark. And when they weren't there, it was like, well, OK, you know, who, who is the new Williams? You know, so I think for a lot of people, that's that's the case for them as well. And and even when they weren't winning, they've always been, it's just an easy team to support. You know, they've got, you know, the, the origins that they have. They've never been one of the guys with, you know, loads and loads of money that can kind of outspend other people so it's it's a shame and um it's amazing that the family lasted as long as it did in control of the team because it's not always the way when you know something like that starts up um so a big shame but i think it seems given the trajectory williams has been on you know it seems like they needed a change and hopefully these new owners who are coming in can kind of inject some new life into that it's never nice when something with such, such history gets taken over by a new entity because People will say, you know, if, let's say they do change the name or whatever. Immediately people say, oh, you know, they're, they're destroying the legacy of the team. But at the same time, sometimes getting hung up on the past is what means you can't progress in the future. So it's it's really sad. And um, it's a shame that they didn't have a better season to go out on. You know, they've been comfortably the, the, the slowest car for a while. So not great. But yeah, they leave an incredible legacy and still one of my favorite racing teams in anything. Lawrence, you'll definitely miss them too, right? Well, well it, it's, it's the end of an era. It's drawn a line under um, these kind of, uh, basically, teams that were set up by people purely to go racing because those people are racers. So, you know, Peter Sauber no longer owns Sauber, which is now called Alfa Romeo. Uh, Jordan, which was set up by Eddie Jordan, is now called Racing Point and owned by billionaire Lawrence Stroll, who likes cars but didn't make his money in cars. Uh, Minardi, which was set up, you know, uh, as a team in Italy, in Faenza, um, uh, by Gianluca Minardi, is now Alpha Tauri, having you know been bought by Red Bull, and you know the list kind of goes on. You have got Ferrari, I suppose, 
So it's, it's the one team where you could say there's still some lineage, but of course, you know, they're owned by um, the, well, they're kind of part owned by Fiat Chrysler, part owned by the Agnelli family and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, this idea of uh, somebody who just loves racing, set up a Formula One team to go and do that because that's what they wanted to devote their life to has ended. And I can't see that ever happening again, uh, given the money involved. Maybe if the sport takes a bit of a turn down the road and, you know, we get some sensible cost control measures in, it will will be possible, but I can't see it. So that is very sad. Uh, Having said that, I think it was probably the right moment to, uh, to do that. Arguably, maybe they should have done it a bit earlier. You know, we all know that Williams has had pretty big fall from grace over the last few years um, and that's been been a bit sad to watch and I don't I'm not saying that's Claire's fault but um, you know there's lots of reasons that have contributed uh, the biggest one being the way the sport is structured and uh, the rubbish deal they were given independent teams while you know they would pay manufacturers uh, to come in or allow manufacturers to just bring huge budgets in and blow small teams like Williams out the water so um yeah, it's, it, it is a bit of a sad day for F1, but I guess that's the world we live in and uh, we're not going to change it um, by you know being sad over, over the Williams family leaving. It is what it is. And uh, yeah, it's just um, just the end of an era, I think. This morning, before the race, I think Formula One shared it and you can see it on YouTube. It's the lap Lewis gave to Sir Frank Williams at mm. the British Grand Prix last year. And it's just, that was a really nice thing to watch because even just from that, you can see like the reverence that Lewis has for Frank Williams, you know, and it's not, it's not fake. Lewis was saying what a legend he is. Vettel said some nice things about him. So it's, it's, it's one of the few people I think in the paddock that is just genuinely just respected across the board. There's no, you don't really hear bad things said about the guy. So um, for his family team to still mean that much to people, I think means a lot. And um, yeah, like Lawrence said, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a shame. And it's like, it's almost like, it's like another corporate team you could kind of argue is there, but um, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they somehow retain some some form of the, the Williams heritage somehow. Fingers crossed indeed. End of an era, absolutely. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. It's been an absolutely crazy weekend in Monza, but we have loved every single moment of it. Here's to Magella being just as exciting. But before we even get there, join us midweek. We'll have our preview podcast for you as per usual. The boys will be back. I will be back. Until then, it's bye for now.